Fort Worth, and welcome to another episode of the Fort Worth Freedom Review. If you are new here, the Freedom Review exists to inform and educate the Fort Worth and Tarrant County community about the values and the functions of civic engagement, the goings-on of the local city council, the mayor, the county commissioner's court, as well as important news stories from our community and from the greater Texas community, including state political issues. My name is Anthony Sosa, and today we have Amber O'Dell, Thomas Moore, and Christy Beamer here to discuss local issues regarding the Fort Worth Police Department. This episode ran a little long, so we had to break it up into two parts. This is part one of two. And in part one, Amber will cover the Bowman and Del Carmen expert police panel report. This report was pretty thorough and dense and details many issues with the current state of the department and lays a great foundation for the conversations to come in part two. In part two, Christy breaks down the Sunset Commission for us, its role in its report on Fort Worth PD and opportunities for growth. Thomas will discuss some of the findings from No Sleep Till Justice's Freedom of Information Act request regarding Fort Worth Police Department incidents. And finally, I will present some recent news stories regarding Fort Worth PD and Keller PD. All of the resources used for this episode will be provided below in the show notes. As always, please subscribe and sign up for our newsletter and get updates on Fort Worth political news and deep dives into local issues. We are currently a volunteer organization. If you would like to get involved or want to contact us, you can reach us at fwfreedomreview at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at fwreview and on Facebook at Fort Worth Freedom Review. This podcast is made possible by the Justice Reform League, a Fort Worth-based nonprofit. If you wish to support us or this podcast, please go to justicereformleague.org and click the donate button. Let's go ahead and get things started with this eye-opening report um, from Drs. Bowman and Del Carmen, who are part of the um, outside review panel on, um, I think they're referred to as the expert, uh, the Fort Worth Police Department expert review panel. Um, They released a status report. Um, I believe this panel was initially put together and hired um, maybe like um, in like 2019, I think, uh, to come in and do observations from for, about Fort Worth Police Department um, regarding their use of force, um, how their internal affairs, uh, internal affairs department works, as well as community oversight. Um, and so uh, I guess I want to start off a little bit with just talking a little bit um, about who is on this uh, part of this panel, uh, Dr. Bowman himself is was i believe let's see. Uh, i'm just going to talk about drs bowman and del carmen since they were the main um people i think on their report although there's like several other members of the report as well uh but dr bowman um started a public service career in 1983 um was a police officer himself for arlington pd and served in a number of positions before being appointed to police chief in 1999 so Dr. Bowman was actually um, Arlington's uh, police chief, and um, he served for five years. 
um, as a deputy city manager and director of public safety in Arlington before retiring in 2007. Uh, Dr. Alex Del Carmen uh, has a PhD in criminology from um, the College of Criminology at Florida State University. Um, and he's considered an authority on race and crime with particular emphasis on racial profiling in law enforcement. Um, he's done a lot of academic things such as writing articles. Um, and I believe he is actually, um, uh, well, he's lived in the Dallas-Fort Worth area uh, for the last 21 years um, and is, uh, you know, kind of part of part of our community here. Um, other people uh, include Linda Garcia, Emily Gunston, Tom Petrowski, Jonathan M. Smith, Marsha K. Thompson, and Rita J. Uh, Villarreal. Uh, shoot. You can say Villarreal. A lot of people say it like that. Yeah. Um, hyphen Watkins. So what? So what's the point of this uh, report again? What, what were they examining? Um, so the main function let me go ahead and get into the get into the document here um so um this the functions of this report uh it says the purpose of this review is to identify patterns and practices related to police interactions with the public during investigative stops searches and arrests and arrests de-escalation and use of force incidents okay. um, the panel will examine police policies operational practices and training um, accountability systems, corrective and reporting procedure, and um, technology applications. So the review will include substantial interactions and listening sessions with community members, groups, and as well as police personnel. Um, other areas the panel is expected to review include community policing and engagement, internal affairs complaints, uh, recruiting, hiring, and promotions, as well as critical incident interactions, within the mental health community and interactions with youth. Um, so these, this panel um, is part of, um, I guess, police reform experts. And um, they were brought in basically to just look at Fort Worth PD and see how things were going, um, areas that needed to be addressed, um, issues within policies as they stand, um, as well as incidents that have, occur have occurred um, that are problematic. So for this, the community. so this was established before the protesting this past year, right? You said 2019. Yes, okay. I believe so. I don't have the exact year. Um, right. This and report I, that I, I'm looking at um, was actually put out on July 31st, 2020. Okay. Okay. Because I, I think that this is what they, what the mayor and the city council were referring to when they kept telling us they were already doing things, right? Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, is this the report um, that was taken down, or is this one up? This mm -hmm. is, let me get into that. Okay. So, um, I re I am subscribed to the Fort Worth City newsletter. Um, anybody can subscribe to it if you're interested. If you're listening to this podcast, you should go online and subscribe so that you get emails from the city telling you when things are happening, what's going on, and, um, you know, things that you should know about our city if you want to be an engaged individual. Um, so, I received an email saying that uh, phase one from the expert review panel had been completed. They had written a lovely report and um, they were uh, advertising that there was going to be, um, I, I believe, a city council work session where um, Drs. Bowman and Del Carmen were going to give 
um, a little presentation on like what they found in this preliminary report. So this is not the final report. This is the preliminary mm -hmm. report. And so um, they were like, hey, go to the click this link to download to go to the city website and download the report. And so I did. And then um, I went back um, because as we we know, the city has updated their website. Good for them. I'm excited about that. However, when I went back to try to find the report because I didn't save it to my computer, I couldn't find the report anywhere. And so I went to the actual um, page on the website that says police review panels. And there's like a whole page about um, what the purpose of this review was to be, who the members of the panel were. Um, they each have a, uh, a bio here, like on the website. And then there's like three documents that you can download. One is the review panel biographies. Um, one is the police review scope of work, which is not this report. And then one is the police department panel review informal report which is like two pages and literally just has like the heading titles and none of the actual detailed write-up and so this actual report is 40 pages long and now it's not on the website anymore and i thought that was really strange and it must just be you know um it got lost in the transition from well or i guess like during the time that the city was updating their website then I I had a, I never got to read the report because I got busy with school and stuff. And so now, um, as we were prepping for the podcast, and I went back and started reading the report. I was like, huh, I am not surprised that this report is not on the website anymore. Um, and I can kind of see, like, why they didn't put it back up because this is a very critical report. And I want to say it is far more critical than I was expected, um, expecting. And um, I am really thankful for that. And one of the things um, that... And, and I wasn't even really aware of that, like, as I was, because I actually did watch the city council meeting when Dr. Bowman gave the presentation on it. Oh, yeah, um, right. and, the, and the presentation didn't come off as, like, particularly critical, but, like, reading this write-up, it is more critical. And I think that's part of, um, because the members of city council, some of the city council bird, uh, was, like, kind of defensive um, regarding the report and was like, well... Like, it, so you're saying that our policies are actually good, right? It's just like that they're not being implemented. And he was like, uh, like clearly like a little triggered by by the whole thing. And um, City Councilwoman Kelly Allen Gray was like, this is such a professional report. And it was just lovely to read it. And, you know, just kind of like excited of, of, about the findings, um, you know, like, at, like glad that it was being brought to light, like not excited that they were doing bad, you know, mm -hmm. but she was like, you know, clearly like glad to see an enlightened report. Um, and so I, I feel the same way. So I'll go ahead um, and get into what this report actually says. So by the um, way, before you get into it, any to any of our listeners who want to go see the report for themselves, it's going to be uh, down in the show notes and located on the Justice Reform League website for you guys to access and see all this information yourself. Yes, and one of the main findings or one of the main um, functions of the report is like it says in here that, you know, this can't, this report was put together, you know, because the city of Fort Worth wanted to be, um, wanted to see more transparency um, and they wanted the whole process of the evaluation to be incredibly transparent as well. So it's like the report was like done in the spirit of transparency. So I'm sure it was just a mistake that it was taken off the website. Sure. I'm going to call the city secretary and let her know that it's missing. You know, um, just so I could bring it to their attention. Um, so um, also one of the things that's interesting is that like as they were going through and like finding areas that needed to be changed, um, the review process was like an implementation process was like kind of done simultaneously. 
you know, because like we are dealing with like matters of like life and death in some instances, like of officers and community members. So when they found something wrong, they were like, okay, like this is wrong. Like, even though, you know, this is going to be like a two, three or a two phase process, like let's go ahead and address this right now. Mm. Um, so that there's no risk of anyone else getting injured by this faulty policy or the lack of implementation of like a safety procedure. So I thought that was really cool. And that was something that, um, Dr. Bowman really highlighted during his presentation. So Amber, real quick, before you mm -hmm. start digging in the details, can you just give us a summary of what your take on this report was? What does it say? What's yeah. the, what's the significance? Um, so it's really significant because, um, my take on what I, what I'm reading in the report is that in fact, some of the most, a lot, not some or most, but like many of the department policies that Fort Worth PD already has in place regarding use of force, um, you know, like are, are there, you know, there, there are policies like they do use a, they do have on paper a de-escalation protocol, um, when engaging with community members and, um, the policies in general are not necessarily the problem, um, although some of them do need to be changed and there are recommendations for them to be changed um, or improved rather. Um, but it's really just let leadership and like the vision that leadership has for the department and for the community um, are not in line with the way officers are behaving on the ground. Um, and that there are many problems um, with officers not following protocol or officers, um, you know, like not having an idea of what the right protocol should be or, or having like a misconception of what the protocol should be. Um, when there are issues um, regarding a community member having a mental health issue, um, although the department has created a critical intervention team, there's only like six people on it and it's rarely fully staffed. So they're not being called um, when they should, when there's a person in the community having a mental health problem. Um, and that's one of the things that are directly called out. Um, there are accountability problems within the department. Um, and the responsibility of disciplining officers is uh, really diffused amongst many different entities within Fort Worth PD and amongst many different individuals. And so there's not um, clear protocol, like there's not like a lot of discipline being done. Um, and the and it's not a coordinated group or, or just one individual who deals with disciplinary problems. It's just kind of like, oh, well, this person is going to handle it. And then maybe, you know, um, they just do, they just give the person a talking to rather than actually doing like a disciplinary infraction. Um, there's also no way for um, there. And there's a lot of other issues that I'll get into, like, as I'm going through it um, with, with there not really being a way for evaluating, like when um, force is being used or if it was, um, unnecessary force like so they're not so if a person is you know has force used against them like there's not like um it, they're just looking more at if it was a lawful if it was lawful and not whether it could have been prevented so they're not really trying to go back and be like oh like you just had to shoot someone what else could have been done so that that didn't happen you know there's no going back and evaluating it or really thinking critically about their about their own policies and practices and that specific incidents based on what I'm reading in this report. So they're just like, okay, are, not should we have done this or could we have done better, but they're only looking at was it legal or not? And, right, exactly. And, it, and if it was yeah, legal, like, then it was okay. Yeah, like is the officer breaking a law? 
or wasn't just or was it justified by the law not whether it was justified um in a way that <laughs> that it could have been prevented and a life could have been saved yeah that sounds like so, it, you should be considering those things yeah exactly you yeah. would think um so i'm gonna dive into some of some of the findings um and one of the things that i wanted to read is that um they actually address because this was going on during the summertime during the protests like when they were trying to do their evaluation and it says there were conference um it says in the wake of the deaths of uh, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and other African Americans in police custody, communities across the nation have mobilized seeking reforms to policies and practices. Thousands of people took to the streets in Fort Worth to protest police violence. There were confrontations between Fort Worth police officers and demonstrators, and several dozen people were arrested. The review panel has not assessed concerns that have been uh, raised in the community about the department's action during the demonstrations or concerning their arrest. This moment in history has also brought a new level of importance to this work as communities across this country share in their collective grief. People are uh, rethinking um, how policing should work and how it can work so that Black, Latinx, and other people of color feel and are safe. This poses difficult questions for law enforcement officials as they are forced to grapple with the systemic problems that give rise to police violence. This review has intended to identify and offer remedies for policy or constitutional violation. We note, however, that it is only one piece of the puzzle. The city and the department will have to engage with the communities it serves to have hard conversations about what real public safety means and how Fort Worth can achieve it. And that's like part of the introduction. <laughs> and so I was reading it and I was like, okay, yeah, like, like I can, uh, I, I like what, um, I like that they're addressing that in the report because it, you know, it was going on at the same time. Um, they also talked about a Tatiana Jefferson um, and how that has led to um, serious lapse in, or, or gaps in, in judgment um, and, and trust between the community and law enforcement. Um, they also talked about, um, how there are things that the city has tried to engage in in the past um, to try to um, create more, more um, you know, trust between the community and the police. But a lot of the things that they were trying to do before, like either were just like canceled. Like one of the things that they talked about is, um, you know, in 2014, under the tenure of uh, Chief Ron Robertson, uh, Fort Worth um, was chosen as one of six pilot sites for the Department of Justice's National Initiative for building community trust and justice. Um, and that the goal of the project was to develop and implement intervention strategies that were aimed at enhancing procedural justice, reducing implicit bias, and encouraging reconciliation processes, as well as try to um, test the impact of the strategies in Fort Worth. Um, but the, um, and, and part of that was uh, the creation of a chief advisory board um, but then it was, um, it, they just kind of let it last and, um, they did in like, it like ran from like maybe a couple of years and then, uh, they just like, like didn't do it anymore. Um, and so then they like have like, you know, tried like part of their recommendations are like bringing back some of these, um, these procedures and creating some of these advisory boards within the department, um, and like, you know, really like implementing them in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. Um, and let's see, I want to get into the actual 
observations, um, and they say, it is our observation that leadership's vision and the implementation of policies they have uh, promulgated to address legitimacy and trust are lacking and not reflected in most of the police encounters that were reviewed by the panel. And that this appears to be an ongoing issue that the National Initiative experts raised in 2018. So, huh. um, so they're acknowledging that like, you know, the department is saying that these are our values on one hand, but when you look at the behavior of the officers, like they're not acting like, like that's part of their values. Um, and if you let that happen, it, then then that's your values, right? Doesn't matter what you say. If your officers are behaving in a certain way, and that's okay, that's yeah. the department's values, right? Right, and the de and that's led to um, the de degradation of trust, like in communities of color in Fort Worth. Um, and one of the things that they say is that Fort Worth's policy language does not provide a clear picture of what community trust building activities the department is actually engaged in. The department provided examples of initiatives and units that were working toward this objective, but policy level descriptions related to specific unit activities, how officers are expected to build community relationships trainings or ongoing evaluations of public sentiments don't offer a clear picture of how the department is actually advancing their objective. And so what I'm thinking a lot of this to, 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 to mean is like one of the things that I have viewed personally as like an overarching problem with policing and, and, and it, it goes, it's partly because of like the like procedural justice thing. It's like all about, you know, what like, is that? Let's Explain that what that is for us. Oh, procedural justice um, was actually like a big part of Obama's um, 21st century like policing recommendations. And so procedural justice um, is all about like formulating, you know, like common sense, meaningful policies. And, you know, police are, you know, going to follow these policies. And it, a lot of it is like, you know, like more training for officers, officers really knowing the protocols and officers um, really, you know, like using like the right kind of language when they're talking to community members. Um, and, and it's, you know, sounds like a really good thing, but in practice, it has led to a lot of, um, you know, like suggestions for, for interventions with police that are, that appear, you know, to be very superficial, right? And so it's like, we're going to put our department through implicit bias training. And then, you know, if people say, hey, there's a problem with these officers being racist, then we can say, and the city can say, oh, but we put all of this money and invested in police training. But there's not a lot of follow through on that. And it's just a lot of like promises and saying things that people want to hear in the community. But when it comes down to actually making real change and actually like sticking to it, um, there tends to be a lot of a lot of um, lack of follow through and and seeing things through. Um, and so it's like more um, like for like uh, like the political appearance of um, trying to be progressive and trying to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. But when it um, but it's not it doesn't really effectuate any actual change. So um, procedural, I mean, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. That sounds like to me that like you're achieving justice through the right procedures. It's like procedural justice means, okay, we put new rules in and those rules are supposed to make everything okay. Not actually looking at what's actually happening to, between the interactions between police officers and citizens. Is that what you're saying? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's the intention. It, it's putting the intention there. Um, and we're saying on the surface that you know, you know, we want our officers to follow these exact procedures, and we're putting them in place to keep everybody safe. Um, but you know, a lot of times, like that's kind of where it stops. Is that we're saying this thing, but we're not doing this thing. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things, and so they just go on to really say that, like, you know, law enforcement in Fort Worth is, um, you know, like on the ground, you know, they're not reflecting the values of the policy um, and that the department policies emphasize the sanctity of human life, procedural justice and de-escalation. But based on their review to date, it appears that officers conduct in the community does not uniformly adhere to these policies. Um, and the issue manifests in a variety of ways, such as failure to de-escalate or um, failure to de-escalate or conduct or, or conduct that act or engaging in conduct that actually escalated the confrontation instead. Um, the failure uh, to wait for backup or other tactical decisions that placed officers at heightened risk or that created the need for the use of force. So they were behaving in a way that that required them to use force um, rather than waiting for backup. And, you know, then they wouldn't have had to use that instead of force because it wouldn't have just been one officer doing the engagement. It could have been two, you know. Um, and, then, and, mm -hmm. and then that, uh, like you know, the the whole, well, they they were in danger, so they protected themselves, like, argument comes in. Exactly. But they put themselves in that position to be in danger as opposed to waiting for backup. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And this is my favorite, and you guys might recognize this. Um, also, uh, inadequate investment in crisis intervention and lack of city-funded community-based services to serve at-risk populations yes and the failure of accountability systems to correct conduct that increases the need for uses of force i feel like i've heard that idea somewhere before it, it, has Haven't it, you guys? Yeah. have you ever heard anybody say that the city was not investing adequately in crisis intervention and city funded community-based service to serve at-risk populations as a preventive measure for crime have you guys I say that before? Like, I, just, I, I feel like I maybe like read this this you know really uh, well put together agenda over the over the course of the uh, summer. Thirteen uh, points uh, to address mm. those issues. Same, yeah. Almost as if. <laughs> any word Same. on that? By the way, I know it's slightly off top. Any word on the crisis intervention center? Y'all have y'all heard anything about that in the past couple months? I haven't heard anything about it. I remember them saying, "Oh yeah, I... we're going to do it," and that was it. I heard some. Some people from Enough is Enough um, said that they were working with the city on it. I have not heard anything else okay. um, from, like, the, the literally, like, the initial proposal yeah. um, okay. being worked on. Um, and uh, so the second thing was uh, the department needs to build trust with all communities and develop stronger partnerships to co-create public safety. Um, and it says the lack of trust, it says the department values, but has struggled with its relationships with communities of color and low-income communities in Fort Worth. In part, this is because of highly publicized officer involved shootings or other use of force incidents. Which but the lack of trust runs, runs much deeper and often stems from unnecessarily negative individual interactions between officers and community members. Indeed, in a 2016 community survey, 49% survey, 
of the respondents said they believe that the police treat people differently based on their race or ethnicity, and only 38% of people in Fort Worth thought that police are held accountable for misconduct. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, fun, exactly. Fun fact. <laughs> that's not the only report that said this. I was speaking with uh, Daniel Lawrence from the Urban Institute, and um, when they were with the Obama administration, they went over like five or six problem cities, Fort Worth being one of them, maybe maybe more than five or six, but they found out that one of the biggest ways to implement change is actually working together with other communities and stuff. So they were trying things to kind of like foster a better relationship. He said Fort Worth was one of the only ones that they saw almost no change after everything they did to it. Mm-hmm. Like you saw improvements in freaking Stockton, California, but Fort Worth just wasn't improving. It's was like it's because the the police department just was not cooperating. That's they basically what I'm they... seeing here in this report too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I'm uh, not surprised like by that. A what? A six, seven year gap? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So nothing. There not... just hasn't been any change over time. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Uh. Do you want to say that? Um, they say that the uh, department lacks a functioning crisis intervention service um, for people with mental health problems, which I already kind of talked about that. Um, and they said that there is ingre- uh, increased integration of accountability structure, or that increased in- integration of accountability structures would facilitate um, consistency and accountability and promote compliance with policy. Um, so that's really talking more about like inside the department. Um, that there's like just like basically there's just like not a lot of accountability like generally um do you as, mind it, as it is at this time to Sorry, go ahead. no it's okay do you mind speaking to some of the spe- specific incidents that you were reading about in regards to the report yeah let me get down to that um so most of this is like regarding use of force and that seemed to be like like the crux of the, of issues um and so I think that, like, and so they start off, and I'll read this because it'll be helpful for the listeners. So um, they say that police leaders kind of describing use of force and um, how it's just, like, controversial generally, like, as a concept. And so they say police officers are among the few public officials authorized uh, uh, um, use, uh, wait, let me start over. Police officers are among the few public officials authorized to use force, including deadly force, in their official capacity. The execution of stops and arrests, quote, necessarily carries with it the right to use some degree of physical coercion or threat thereof to affect it, end quote. Um, the authority to use force, while broad, is not unlimited. The Fourth Amendment establishes the right of, quote, people to be secure in their persons and to be protected from unreasonable searches and seizures. And it has long been understood that the Fourth Amendment places limits on the use of force um, by law enforcement. Um, Force to be constitutional must be objectively reasonable. Objective reasonableness is determined by a series of factors, including, quote, the severity of the crime at the issue, whether the suspect poses an immediate threat to the safety of the officers or others, and whether he is actively resisting arrest or attempting to evade arrest by flight, end quote. Any use of force is judged from the perspective of a reasonable officer on the scene rather than with the 2020 vision of hindsight, end quote. 
So, um, it's among the most controversial areas of policing generally. And even when the force it used is constitutional, it can be contrary to the values of the community or the policies of a department. Yes. And even a small percentage of unnecessary or excessive uses of force can undermine trust and legitimacy in an entire department. Moreover, force that may be legally authorized may not be appropriate and may well be viewed as illegitimate by members of the community. Yeah. So, um, and they use a little quote that says it's lawful but awful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of us can, and I'm sure you guys could speak to this too. Like, we, whenever you see a police officer do something that is out of line or inappropriate, I mean, we have a, a visceral emotional response to those things. Um, but then if the department turns around and says, no, it was legal. It's cool. We're allowed to do that. You know, that's not going to create trust or produce trust in, in that institution at all if they're taking advantage and abusing their, their authority and that sort of thing. Yeah, abuse of discretion, right? Um, and it says here that uh, community members expect that police officers will make concerted efforts to avoid and minimize the use of force and that force will be limited to those circumstances in which alternatives to force cannot be safely applied. Um, and so that's kind of like, one of the things that they just like kept finding and they said the sole question under the department's uh police or yeah under the department's police um should not only uh should not only be is use of force lawfully authorized but it should also include an assessment of whether it was appropriate under the circumstances and whether it could have been avoided through through de-escalation or changes in tactics and so um they have their actual uh like the department's actual policy but i'm not going to get into that yeah it's basically what you would expect it to be um and so they're talking a, about use of force um regarding de-escalation and the use of tasers um but then they're also talking about um force including including deadly force or you know like with a regular service weapon um and so they said that although the, re the department requires officers to use de-escalation techniques consistent with the department training whenever possible um and you know force should be like the last alternative yeah um, always it, always and so they give some examples um let's see i want to make sure i'm reading that part yeah, so they say there was a high degree of consistency in the informal and the information reported to us by community members of the department members of the community in the documents that we reviewed along among the sources upon which we rely on are the following um, community members input um, and then the character they talk about some like different characterizations that they heard. Um, they said several officers told review panel members that they considered their presence alone to be a de-escalation tactic. So the officers are saying, like, us showing up is de-escalation. <laughs> Which we'll see, yeah. When we, when we get to some of the, the new stuff, that, uh, that attitude is, is present. And they say that video footage that they reviewed confirmed this approach with several examples in which officers immediately resorted to aggressive, profane language and interactions where the person did not pose an immediate danger and was not offered adequate explanation of the basis for detention. They say that many of the cases reviewed involved a person in a mental health crisis, but there was no indication that the critical incident team, which is like their specialized mental health team, uh, was called. 
um, and the uh, to assist and that it was like or even in that um, in that they didn't even acknowledge that the person was experiencing a mental health crisis a lot of the time. Um, Which so is again why example. they don't need to be responding to those in the first place. Like they're not trained or to respond to those things. But sorry, I'm getting well, off topic. Yeah, to, so all to quote uh, Ed Krauss from our meeting with him over the summer, my officers are not social workers. Yeah. Yeah, they're not. They're not. And they do, um, like, part of TCOL, like, is that they get, like, a little bit of mental health training, but it's not enough to, to, to warrant them responding to these incidents. And here's an example of how it could go wrong. Um, so this is it's, uh, an actual incident. So it says, similarly, there is no indication that these incidents were analyzed after the fact to determine whether a different course of action may have avoided um, the need to use force against a person in a mental health crisis. Rather, every review we observed was limited to whether the force was either lawful or not um, and did not extend to whether it was avoidable, necessary, or appropriate. For example, officers responded to a report of a suicidal teenager the young woman refused to get out of a parked car to speak with the officers. The officers immediately began to forcibly remove her from the car and slammed her to the ground. After they handcuffed her, one officer dragged her across the sidewalk and street by her hands. The officer then aggressively pushed her into the car as she, began, as she begged to speak to her mom. Um, as she resisted, the officer grabbed her by her legs and shoved her in. She had urinated on herself, and her shirt fell off, exposing her breasts. This is a teenage girl with exposed breasts. The officer made no attempt to de-escalate and did not call or consult with a CIT officer. When she stepped outside of the car again, nude from the waist up, an officer sprayed her with pepper spray four times directly in the face. And yeah. so let me ask you this. Is this in front of an observer, like one of these reporters, the people who wrote the report, like they're there while this happened and they witnessed this? Or is this a is this a like a a police report or something? Like where where is this information coming from? Um, It could be. Um, I mean, they they identified like the different ways that they collected the information. Some of the was from discussing with the community members involved. Some of it was okay. so officers talking was. about their own experiences. And then I believe some of it was from actual video footage that was either recorded from like a dash cam or like one okay. of the body cameras. OK, it doesn't explicitly say it right here, like yeah. what, um, you know, where this came from. Yeah. Um, and so in some situations, uh, they say the review of files also revealed encounters that start with officers yelling a command, often with their weapon drawn and under circumstances where no apparent threat was present. In other cases, officers failed to take the time to permit a subject to calm down or comply, take advantage of distance or wait for backup that might have had a calming effect. Officers frequently curse at arrestees using what the officer perceived to be slang in a racially offensive way or mock or humiliate arrestees. For example, in one taser, uh, in one taser case review, an officer had stopped a man who they suspected was intoxicated, although it is not clear how or why the in interaction began. When the officers asked him, uh, asked the man for his identification, the man said it was in his car and he started to go back to retrieve it when the officer grabbed him to arrest him. A second officer ran up and immediately told the man, you need to relax or I'm going to bust you in the face. Uh, this, um, this, uh, the several 
In several other reviews, uh, we observed similar use of language at the outset of the encounter when the individual appeared to be confused as to why they were even being arrested. Um, and yeah. so there's like also issues with like their tasers and they go into um, a lot of the problems with that because like tas using a taser is like technically like an intermediate level of force. Um, but a lot of officers like take their taser out in the beginning of a conference or in the middle, in the beginning of an interaction. Um, and it just sounds like, you know, a lot of these officers are um, just like really, really on edge. You know, they sound um, like they're scared. They're like, like, yeah, they're you, if yeah. if you're if you're initially like you said, they're starting off the the encounter with their gun drawn and they're yelling at people. Like, mm -hmm. you only do that because you fear that you're in danger <laughs> or something. Right. You know, like I, I I don't know. Sorry, I I have I have a lot to say about all that stuff. But yeah. Yeah, um, and so part of it is the mental health status of most of the police are, because I know a lot of police, the majority of them are actually veterans, so they have PTSD and stuff. If they're mm -hmm. not getting the help they need, that's the yeah. square. Yeah, and the, and the department point. like prioritizes um, a police officer candidate who has military training. Mm -hmm. um, so like, if you've been in the military, if you're a veteran, they're like you get like extra points like on your on your application. Um, so they they actually like prioritize like veterans over regular individuals who didn't mm -hmm. serve in the military, mm -hmm. um, and I'm not gonna make a judgment call on that. I'm just gonna say that 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 is the mm -hmm. case. Um, well, that so, was the thing when we were when Nice was doing all her talking. That was her biggest issue. Was like, hey, look, we have this level of training when we have to go overseas, and we mm -hmm. have all of these protocols that we have to follow before we engage a person, even when there's a rifle pointing in our face. Um, but then they come home and like those regulations are out the window. The police departments aren't have, holding their officers. Yeah, to they those don't same have standards. nearly as strict yeah, exactly. of, of guidelines for weapons use as as the military does. And that's one of the reasons why they prioritize veterans because they're excited to have a candidate that has that training. And while I'm on the topic, I would and this is not part of this review, but just like for our audience, um, in the state of Texas specifically. Uh, to become a hairdresser and get a cosmetologist license, it requires a thousand hours of training. But to become a law enforcement, uh, carrying a weapon and obtaining all of the uh, discretion that comes with that and the weight of that of that role in our community, it only requires 618 hours of training. So it's harder to become a hairdresser in the state of Texas than it is to become a law enforcement officer which in my opinion should be addressed <laughs> yeah especially when as evidenced by this report uh, a lot of the issue is with like people officers making decisions on the spot yeah. you know yes and part of that is policy so i want to before we move on to the next segment or the next part of this uh podcast i do want to talk a little bit about the policies so um, some of the, one of the problems they're saying, like with tasers specifically, is that, um, there's an intermediate, it's intermediate force or, um, a level of force that has the potential to cause injury or substantial pain and is greater than low level force. Um, and so they have like different, like instances 
when they are not supposed like people they're not supposed to use a, t a taser on so for example a frail or weak person an elderly person a person with like visibly low body mass index a pregnant person a small child thank goodness um or a person in water that is a drowning risk um but they're often using these tasers like like they're basically saying that like they're they're using their tasers too much they're a little bit taser happy um and that they pull them out at the very beginning of these encounters and that and so there's like policy recommendations on on how to correct it because it's like sort of like a gray area in policy where it's not um you know like there's like instances when they're not supposed to use it but it's like kind of broad outside of that of like when they should use it um and so you know part of it too is um you know like that they need more policy guidance on uh, when force is permitted and then also like how to de-escalate and okay. that um there was like one area where like they they called out the like policy specifically because um it said that uh let's see if is it, is it right here um it says officers should be given specific be given uh significantly more guidance on when and how to exercise discretion um, not to engage in an enforcement action. And so, like, when I use the word discretion, I do want to give a, um, give, like, a definition of what that means. So it really just means, like, officers have the freedom to decide what, what should or shouldn't be done in a particular situation. And they're really, like, the ultimate authority on that when no one else is around, you know? And so it's, like, um, so they're saying that, like, you know, officers, you know, need to know like when and have more guidance on when to exercise discretion and not um, in enforcement actions. And that there's the occasions when an officer may have the authority to take someone into custody, but circumstances dictate that there's little or no public safety belief uh, or be safety benefit to do that. Um, and that the safer and better course would be to withdraw. But officers are like, you know, like, I have the authority to do this, and it's lawful that I can arrest this person. It doesn't matter what, you know, like, they're making a judgment call there, and they tend to, like, like, make, they tend to, like, err on the side of, like, you know, like, I have the authority to do this, so I'm going to do it, not whether it, like, makes sense to do so, or, or even in situations when they're putting themselves at risk, because, you know, they're the only person there, you know, um, and so they're they're like taking the more risky approach, I guess, is what is what they tend to do. Um, and that there's just not um, and, and and there's like aside from that, you know, there's like you know like aside from like these policy, these like policy and like lack of guidance problems. Um, like one of the like overall problems is like really with um, within like the account accountability system within the department. Um, and that there's not really a review of force incidents to determine whether de-escalation was used and whether the officers like failed to use de-escalation techniques. So there's really no no system in place for them to actually do any internal reviews. Um, and then like when they do do these internal reviews, they have like the Office of like Internal Affairs, um, which are made up of like um, you know individuals that used that were like prior like formerly like typically they're they were like um detectives or like investigators within the department then they go to internal affairs where they're it's then their job to like you know investigate 
issues with um with law enforcement officers individually and so that's like separate from like their chain of command investigations um and so like they have like different entities that are supposed to be following through on investigating officers but those entities like aren't really communicating with each other a lot of the time and um and so therefore like you know there's not a lot being done and there's uh, one of the things that they recommend as well is um the implementation of um like an early warning system for officers that um are problematic and so um that's like one of the main things that they the recommendations that they make at the end um but i think that is really like i mean there's some other more like um Things that are like interesting to me personally like policy wise and like that came out of this report but i think as far as like for the purpose of our conversation i think that that really covers like the gist okay. of it so let's just summarize that real quick for for our listeners before we move on to the next segment oh okay um so basically um uh fort worth pd has some good policies in place regarding use of force um however like they need to be up updated and improved um so that there's more like clear uh protocol for officers because some officers are doing one thing and other officers are doing a different thing and um there seems to be like not a lot of um not a lot of like oversight with like which officers are, are doing what um also Fort Worth PD officers uh, tend to just uh, come into situations like really hot and, um, you know, brandishing their tasers or like, are, you know, having a weapon, a weapon drawn and like immediately going to like, you know, like level five or six when they should be starting out at like level one as far as like escalation goes. Um, they tend to escalate situations violently or um for the potential of violence rather than they ds rather than de-escalating thing um there's not a lot of oversight with their behavior there's not a lot of accountability um a lot of the department's policies and values that um you know are on paper look really great and tend to reflect what the community is asking for however um in action they are not being enforced um and the way that the values are being played out like on the ground like per individual officer um is the opposite of like what it actually what they're actually supposed to be doing that's a um, problem it's a huge problem yeah and it's a liability for the city too you know i didn't i didn't even get into any of that but like um you know like officer officers cost cities and taxpayers like like millions of dollars every year if not you know closer to like a billion in this day and age um and it's like you know i mean in addition to it just being horrible for the community as it as it stands and for like community police like relationships um it's also just a huge problem for the city in and of itself you know mm -hmm. and that's money uh, that could be spent toward the community programs and mm -hmm. crisis intervention um teams and locations and stuff that, that were recommended in the report 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the things that were in the report um, and in the recommendations are like directly in line with like what we were all asking for over the summertime. You know what I mean? And like that's like one of the biggest takeaways is like, which, which I knew that it would be like as a person with like a master's in criminal justice, like as much as often as there are just like random community members who are like, you know, willing to like defend police officers like in any situation, no matter what they do, because mm -hmm. simply because they're police officers, you know, and mm -hmm. they're like wanting to like validate all of these like horrible behaviors and actions like done by police, like in the actual field of criminal justice, like these issues are are talked about. They're they're researched, you know, there are like several different alternative methods and approaches and trainings and um, you know, like 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 other ways that you know we can just like avoid crimes from happening in the first place you know like it's like it's like completely common you know so here we have like with this report you know um an, an ex you know chief of police like before he retired you know um we have a, a criminal justice you know professor um we have you know like all of these different lawyers and like policy experts who are you know evaluating for orthopedy and are essentially asking for like many of the same things that we're asking for um and so like i'm just like i don't know where all of these other like like back the blue people are, are really coming from because like within the actual field of criminal justice like none of the things that we're asking for or or the recommendations like made by this expert panel are considered to be particularly like they're not even really that progressive at this point you know no it's just a bare um, minimum just common it's, sense, you know yeah and mm -hmm. we can't even get that yeah so i don't know that's that's the weirdest thing about this whole discussion to me is like you know like you have police officers you know who embrace some of these um some of these recommendations because it makes them more safe you know like and it protects them like from you know future problems it protects the city from having to to shout you know millions of dollars in lawsuits Thank you for listening to the Fort Worth Freedom Review. This concludes part one of episode nine. In part two, Christy Beamer breaks down the Sunset Commission for us, its role and its report on Fort Worth PD and opportunities for growth. After that, Thomas Moore discusses some of the findings from No Signal Justice's Freedom of Information Act request regarding Fort Worth PD incidents. And finally, I will break down some news quick hits in regards to Fort Worth PD and Keller PD. So please listen to part two of episode nine to get the rest of this conversation.